Welcome to the Hope New Podcast, a podcast for parents of children impacted by disabilities, where we believe there's beauty in the journey and purpose in the pain. Your hosts are Jonathan and Sarah McGuire. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Jonathan. Today, we are chatting with our dear friend, Jolene Philo. Yes, Jolene has been instrumental in our special needs journey as she has written so many valuable resources that come alongside parents and caregivers, and I have gleaned a lot from her wisdom and writing and knowledge. She co-authored her latest book with Dr. Gary Chapman. It is called Sharing Love Abundantly in Special Needs Families, the Five Love Languages for Parents Raising Children with Disabilities. As parents, we want to protect our children from trauma, but it isn't always possible. Many of our kids, both those impacted by special needs and their siblings, experience different forms of trauma. In today's conversation, Jolene will share how we can apply the five love languages to help prevent that trauma from turning into PTSD and the difference between those two. So join us for our conversation with Jolene. Jolene, welcome to the Hope Anew podcast. We are so glad to have you here again. I'm so glad to be with you. It's always nice to talk to good friends. Yes, we we always love the time together. Now, we are really excited about the book that you co-wrote with Dr. Gary Chapman, Sharing Love Abundantly in Special Needs Families, The Five Love Languages for Parents Raising Children with Disabilities. What led you to use the love languages as a tool to benefit kids who live with unresolved trauma? Well, I have worked in both of those areas. I've written the love language book with Dr. Chapman, and I also wrote a book in 2015. It came out in 2015 about PTSD and kids, which is called Does My Child Have PTSD? What to Do When Your Child is Hurting from the Inside Out. And based on what I know about kids who are dealing with trauma, and then what I've learned about using the love languages. I've always thought that kind of marrying the two and figuring out how to use the love languages with those kids to help them feel more safe and secure would be a good thing. And because the love languages are so easy, uh, they're low maintenance, they're not a hard concept to learn, they don't cost a lot of money. As long as you're intentional and you know a child's love language, you can use that to increase their sense of safety and security. And what I know about kids who have been traumatized is that they lack that sense of safety and security. They are constantly on edge because of the bad things that have happened to them before. And so they never feel safe. So if we can intentionally use the love languages, we can make them feel safer and give them the space they need to heal. I also went after I wrote the love languages book, I went was able to go to the publishers and they showed me one of their books called discovering the five love languages at school. And I'm a former teacher. And of course that was just like, Oh my goodness, Mm. I want to see what this is. And that is by Dr. Gary Chapman and DM freed F R E E D. If anybody's interested in looking for it. And it's actually a curriculum for introducing the love languages in school that can be used by counselors And so I kind of put that together and um, turned it into a class for educators that I was hoping to teach this summer. But with the the pandemic and the shutdown, there are no in-person classes and I didn't have the turnaround time to create a Zoom class. 
But I want to get the word out because I think it's such an exciting idea. And I think it's very useful and effective. Yeah, that would be very cool. Hopefully next summer or, and and if not in person by next summer, I'm going to be teaching it on Zoom in Iowa at least, which is where I live. There we go. There we go. That would be excellent. And uh, yeah, we'll look forward to when that's out and hopefully it will go broader than Iowa. I hope so. Yep. That would be great. And could you give us a short refresher about the difference between trauma and PTSD? Sure. I like to say that PTSD is trauma's bigger, meaner cousin. (laughs) Um, Trauma happens to all of us and every child and every adult deals with trauma. It is that, you know, scary, yucky, painful stuff of childhood. And we all have those things happen to us. But those traumatic events that we experience do not necessarily turn into PTSD. PTSD happens when that traumatic event kind of gets trapped in the brain and all that extra energy, the adrenaline and cortisol that comes rushing into your bloodstream when you have experienced something overwhelming or scary or you perceive a threat, all of that kind of gets trapped in a child's brain and they by themselves, if they're totally overwhelmed, can't process that and get rid of that energy. And so, or the memory of it and the memory kind of lives on forever if it isn't dealt with properly. So another way to think of it is that trauma is like a skinned knee and we all have skinned knees and, you know, you go home and somebody helps you clean it up, put some antibiotic cream on it. Maybe if you got any gravel under the skin, somebody helps pick that out with a tweezer. They bandage it up and every day or two check it to make sure it needs, it's doing well, clean it out if it, it, uh, needs more cleaning. And eventually you recover from that skin knee and you might have a little bump there where it happened or a little scar might be a little tender for a while, but eventually you move on with life and you really don't think about it. But if nobody does that to that skin knee and they leave it dirty and they, the little bits of gravel are still under the skin, it'll eventually become infected. And an infected knee then can turn into a lot of dangerous things. It enters the bloodstream and can lead to blood poisoning and system failure. And we just don't want that. And the same is true for trauma and PTSD. If a child suffers a trauma or an adult and there's somebody there to talk with them about it, help them process it, help them see that, yeah, it was scary and yeah, it You don't want it to happen again, but it's over and you can move on with your life. Well, then you may have that little unpleasant memory now and then, but it's not going to affect your life. You're going to move on. However, if you don't have somebody to help you with that, that gets stuck in your brain and it can lead to responses when something else scary like that happens. Those responses and your behaviors are inappropriate or even detrimental. It can lead to things like numbing it and um, developing addictions, having trouble in relationships. And it can even, if it goes on long enough, it can really change the way your brain looks. And you are altered by that. And it can be much more difficult to recover from, or you never do recover from it. So that's the difference between PTSD and trauma. And according to the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of of Mental Illnesses, 
if the symptoms that accompanied the original traumatic event, if like that uh, nightmares or kind of running away when you see something like that, or, or you think of the, the soldier who hears a car backfiring outside and they go under the desk, you know, like they're trying to ward off invaders. If those kinds of symptoms continue for three months after the original event, it can be diagnosed as post-traumatic stress disorder. Well, that's an excellent description. And uh, yeah, that, that really helps give an understanding of that. And I love mm-hmm. that dis- the distinction as well, because I know there's been times that as I've looked at situations or what's happening or, you know, we live in a time where we want to keep our kids safe all the time. You know, we always do bike helmets. We always say, be careful. Don't jump off that, you know, three feet off the ground. And, <laughs> or, uh, you know, we, we moms can go to those extremes. I, you know, I, of course, never did. Um, oh, no. no, me neither. No. Um, but yeah, trying to protect them from anything bad or hurtful in life is just not realistic. Right. And so I love how you said everyone experiences trauma. It's not as much the experience of trauma, but what one does with that and whether that turns into PTSD or not. That's an excellent distinction. Yeah, and it's an important one to make because we kind of throw those terms around sometimes as if they are synonyms, and they're really not. And that should give us hope if our child goes through a trauma that there's a lot that we can do to help them overcome that trauma. And part of that, I think, can be the love languages. And we'll talk about that more as we go on. Yeah. Now, before we dive into the love languages, could you talk about some of the causes of trauma in children? I know we, we sure. automatically go to abuse and things like that, but what are some, yeah, just general causes of trauma? I mentioned before, it's the scary, yucky, painful things of childhood. And we have to realize that what's scary, yucky, and painful to a child may be quite different than what it is to an adult, but it's scary. It's still scary to them. And it is a trauma. So some of the things for kids, when you think of them being younger, smaller, more vulnerable, more reliant on adults and people around them to meet their needs. Some of those things could be, as you mentioned, abuse, whether that's physical, sexual, uh, verbal, uh, emotional, uh, things like divorce, where a child's world changes really quickly can be very traumatic for them. Bullying can be a problem. So can moving if you move frequently. And of course, if you experience homelessness, that could be very traumatic for a child. Even adoption. I'm a real proponent of adoption. I think it's wonderful. But there is a separation where the baby who has been in that mother's womb for nine months and gotten used to her voice and her rhythms and her heartbeat, when that separation comes, that can be rather traumatic for a newborn, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. The death of a loved one, a significant loved one in the child's life, painful and invasive medical or dental procedures, uh, being in a war zone being a victim of violence or observing violence, especially of someone close to the child, like their primary caregiver or someone important in their life. Natural disasters, accidents, and also living within a traumatic culture. And some of those traumatic cultures include a culture of racism, 
a culture of poverty. Refugees are in a culture of refugee, you know, very much in flux. And then I think we have to mention right now, which we wouldn't have thought of a year ago, a culture of a pandemic. If you're in that culture long enough and it's always bearing down on you, that can become very traumatic for a child because they never feel safe. Yeah, that's an excellent list. And wow, with that list, you see how how easy trauma happens. Right. And, and so it's excellent to know that there's things that we can do about it to help it not turn into PTSD. And of course, we have your other resource that once it does turn into PSD, what we can do about it to help process it. So while we're going to blend these two concepts where you've talked about trauma and moving into then applying the five love languages to that. So as we start to transition to that, can you provide a rundown of what the five love languages are and how to use them? Sure. Uh, And this, I have to mention again that this concept is the brainchild of my co-author, Dr. Gary Chapman, and he has lots of books on this subject. So if you do a search for him, you're going to find all sorts of resources. But basically what he has to say about the love languages is this. Everyone has a primary love language and many people have a secondary one. So there's one of the love languages that is what you tend to use the most often and maybe another one that you use too. We feel, so I feel most loved when other people use my love language, when they speak it to me. That's how I know that they love me. But not everybody speaks my love language. They have a different one and they would like me to speak their love language to them and I'm not very good at it. So To make others feel loved, we have to learn what their language is and learn how to use it. So the five love languages are words of affirmation, and that's like compliments, whether they're spoken or written affirmation, letting someone know you appreciate them, encouraging them, using words to speak love to them. Another one is quality time, and that is just being with that person. You may not need to say anything always, but you're with them and you're, you're totally focused on them. So sitting side by side on the couch, scrolling through your phones does not count as quality time. <laughs> yes, playing a board game together does, going for, for a walk together, working on a project together could be quality time. But And the thing is that you're focused on that other person. Uh, The next one is gifts, and that means giving and receiving gifts. So a a gifts person loves to give other people gifts, and they love to receive gifts. And it doesn't have to be a pricey endeavor. They may give you the gift of a card or the gift of their time or the gift of a compliment, or they might also just be the person that if you invite them over for a meal, they insist on bringing something. You know, you just have to let them do it because they want to so much. Or it could be an expensive gift or it could be a found item. If you know, for instance, that your child loves bird feathers and you find a feather on your walk, you would take that home and give it to the child. So and then they like to give and receive gifts of that type. Acts of service is the next one. And this is 
this is the love language of people who really appreciate it when you do things for them. And they are the kind of people who are always doing things for you. The key here is that if you want to speak somebody's love language of acts of service, what you do for them needs to be what they want you to do, not what you think they should have done for them. So there's a distinction there. And then the final one is physical touch. And this is not sexual in any nature. This is the kind of touch where maybe they just are the person who likes to sit close or they want to hold your hand or they, uh, in this day and age right now with COVID, we can't do the hand shaking, but they were the ones that would not just shake your hand, but put their other hand over top, you know, and keep shaking it while they told you a story. They, they're the people who pat you on the shoulder or like to have their shoulder patted. If they're kids, they maybe love to be tickled and wrestled with, and they insist on sitting on your lap while they hear a story. They also like uh, sensory gifts like uh, a fuzzy blanket or, you know, a nubby uh, bathrobe or, or a foot massage kind of, you know, one of those foot massage things. That's the kind of physical touch we're talking about. Or like holding hands when you pray. They're always wanting that. So those are the five love languages. Is that, is there anything else I left that, out? No, that, that is perfect. And I'm smiling here because I'm seeing Sarah just nodding her head and getting big grins of that's me as you're going through this list. And especially the, the physical touch. She, she's a foot massage. I'm all about that. Yeah. Foot massages, so yeah. shoulder touches. She's, she said, that's me. And uh, I'm seeing just this look of contentment coming over here. <laughs> just as even thinking about it. So uh, love it. We will return to our interview in just a moment, but first I want to ask you, who is your tribe? Do you have a group that gets it? Does your support group offer masterclasses from qualified professionals that you have access to at any time? Is it a positive, hope-filled, and encouraging group? We want to invite you to the Hope Anew online community. The goal is that together, we are building the most encouraging, real, hope-filled way for parents of children impacted by special needs and disability to engage with a group that gets it. You can have access to the community anywhere that you have your smartphone or computer. It's a private group, not hosted on Facebook, and you will find daily questions, monthly themes, regular master classes that you can access at any time in the resource library, and most importantly, you will have a Christ-centered group that gets it. A laugh together, cry together, pray together community that understands what you're going through without you having to explain a thing. A place where you can be real, be encouraged, and encourage others. You can join by going to hopeanew.com, and we look forward to seeing you there. As parents, how how can we know, or even as caregivers, how can we determine which love language or which couple love languages our child or children have, especially our, our children that have unresolved trauma? Okay, well, one way is that Dr. Chapman has created a lot of quizzes, and those quizzes can be used with, there's one for kids, like between the ages of 8 and 11, there's one for teens, there's one for couples, and those, all those quizzes are at the end of chapter one in the book, Sharing Love Abundantly in Special Needs Families. You can also go to the website, fivelovelanguages.com, and that's five as a digit, not written out. And you can take online quizzes there. 
Now for younger kids, sometimes if they're, they're younger, instead of taking the written quiz, they prefer what he calls the mystery game. And that's just where you kind of ask them some questions. Would you like it more if we went for a walk together or if, if we had a tickle fest? Or would you like it more if I made your bed or if we played a game together? And by asking those questions, and those are all written out, you can determine a child's love language, usually. If not, there are more things you can do. If the child is between the ages of five and seven, a good thing to do is uh, just use observation. And this is also, I think, really good for children who have developmental disabilities or communication disorders, or maybe a child dealing with a lot of unresolved trauma. And what you do is like for a week, you just use one of the love languages with your child. Maybe you start with acts of service and then you write down in a little notebook uh, what you notice about how they respond to that. The next week you go on to perhaps quality time and note how they respond to those activities. So you've done all five. And at the end of that, you will probably notice that your child responded most positively to one of those five. And like their face kind of lights up or they, and they even maybe asked you if you can do more of that thing. And that's another way to find their love languages. And I think if you're dealing with a child who's lived with a lot of trauma, it's important for you to be doing those observations when that child feels safe and secure, not when they're uh, in, they've been triggered and their behavior is uh, erratic or they're feeling scared or whatever it is. Make sure it's a time when they're calm, safe, and secure. And then another thing you can do if you still don't know the child's love language, or if they're very young, between the ages of birth and four, or their developmental ages that within that scope, use all the languages with them. Because children that young need all five languages. You know, they need acts of service. That's what parenting is when they're very little. They need physical touch. They need words of affirmation, having us tell them how cute they are and how wonderful they are. Uh, They need quality time. They need to be with us. And all four of those are gifts that we are giving those very young children. So if you aren't sure and you just can't figure it out, use all of them and you're going to be fine. And it's important, whatever you're using, to be sure to consider the developmental age of the child rather than their chronological age. But if you still can't figure it out and you really want to go further, ask yourself these questions. And these came from from one of the parents I interviewed for the book. What calms my child? What motivates my child? And where does my child choose to spend time? Mm -hmm. And once you've answered those three questions, you'll probably have a pretty good idea of what that child's love language is. Excellent. Yeah, that's very helpful. Yeah. I mean, some of these things I can even see as just being things that you can use in the, you know, just playing the game as you're driving down the road, as you're going running errands with your, your kids, you know, you can be asking these sort of these, the mystery questions and uh, getting. Exactly. And there is one more thing I want to add. If you're dealing with a child who's had a lot of trauma and depending on what triggers them uh, and what their level of safety or security is at a certain time, even once you've determined their love language, the love language they need the most may change depending on the, how scary the circumstances are. Mm. So maybe their love language is words of affirmation. 
but they have to go to the hospital for a procedure and all of a sudden physical touch is all they want. They want you holding their hand at all times. Or they want, if, if they're overwhelmed and tired by something, what they really need from you is acts of service. They need you to help them do things they can't do. Or they need quality time so they can talk with you and process an event that happened that was scary. Or uh, they need words of affirmation to try something new and take a risk. They need you encouraging. Or they may need the gift of a security item like a journal or a stuffed animal or a cuddly blanket, depending on what the situation is. So those love languages may shift for those kids depending on how scary the circumstances are or how insecure they feel. Mm, That's very good to know. Yeah, that's very helpful. So why would you say that the love languages are effective with traumatized kids? Uh, I think it's because it helps them develop healthier attachments. Not attachment, there's within the world of child psychology, there's the theory of attachments or the attachment theory. And that basically means how kids learn to love and bond with other people. And the love languages are a good way to help children bond better. There are four basic attachments. The first is secure, and that's what we want for our kids when they're raised in an environment where their needs are met, where there's a primary caregiver who's available, who shows them love and models how to love. But there are three unhealthy attachments. And the first is avoidant, and that's when the parents are unavailable or rejecting. You know, they're kind of that you think of them as the army sergeant parents. And as a result, the kids avoid closeness because it never works. Their parent isn't available for that. The next one is ambivalent or anxious attachment. And these are parents who are inconsistent and somewhat unreliable in their interactions. Sometimes they're totally there for the kids. And sometimes the parent is too worried or anxious or um, absorbed by something else that they don't meet their child's needs. And as a result, the children develop anxiety and they, they start exhibiting inconsistent and unreliable behaviors because that's what they've always seen. And then the last unhealthy attachment category, and this is the really one that we never want our children to have, because if you have avoidant or um, the anxious, you can learn coping techniques and you can learn healthy ways of attaching and overcome those. But if it's disorganized, that's much more difficult because in those cases, the interaction the child has with the parents or the primary caregivers is so inconsistent that the children become disoriented or terrified. They can't rely on their parents to meet their basic needs. Their world is chaotic and disorganized. They have no one to teach them how to attach and they can't create a view of the world that is anything but chaotic. And so they can't regulate their emotions and they really can't develop good relationships. So those are the attachment theories. And what the love languages can do, if you, are, if you know this child's love language and you know what really makes them feel safe and secure, you can consistently offer it to them 
and they will start learning how to develop healthy attachments and they will learn from, they will watch your examples also and, and just learn a new way of living. Now, if a child is really, has a disorganized attachment, the love languages may help, but they're definitely going to need probably some therapy and other kinds of, of assistance also. That's so helpful. And I had some light bulb, light bulb moments there as, as you're describing that. So thank you for that. What are some examples of ways to show love to children who may be struggling with trauma issues? Well, the first thing I think that is really hopeful is that research shows children, especially young ones between the ages of zero and four, who have ex- who experience the care of a secure primary caregiver who is also calm after a traumatic event, those children recover from the trauma without any ill effects, even if it can be kind of significant trauma. If they've got that secure caregiver who's speaking all the love languages to them, quality time, words of affirmation, acts of service, and physical touch, those children are going to recover. Um, So just think about that and absorb that for a minute. And I think, isn't that amazing? And I think to an an extent, that's also true as our kids are a little older. You know, just zero to four isn't where they want that. If five-year-olds to about, I think, 10 or 11 will have those times where if they feel insecure, what they want is that attention from the primary caregiver, and that can go a long way to help them recover. There are also stories, anecdotal stories, of adults who were traumatized children who look back and say that even the encouragement of a single teacher or adult like maybe a Sunday school teacher or a social worker or somebody from Boys or Girls Club, the attention of that person helped them move past their trauma by giving them a different view of themselves, by telling them, you know, you're really a good student. You are a good problem solver. You're very creative and you could do this and then show them ways to do that. That kind of gives them a window out of their traumatized environment. And they find, they, they start having agency. They see that they can do things for themselves and that there's another world out there that they could be wanting to get into. And that really helps them. So if, if that's the case, just a teacher or a foster parent who's only in that child's life for a while, whoever it is, if they can do that without the love languages, imagine what they could do if they were intentionally using that child's love language to, to speak that kind of hope into them. So I think that's, that's why the intentional use of them can be so powerful in the lives of traumatized kids. And I think there's a couple examples um, that we can look at and see that. And I'm going to give you two. And the first one is Mr. Rogers. Hmm. If you think about Mr. Rogers And, you know, there's a whole generation of people who watched him on television and they're adults now and they still talk about how he just like was their safe place or they loved him. He was constantly speaking words of affirmation. What did he tell you? I love you just the way you are. He was uh, he was spending quality time with them. He was focused on the kids. He had acts of service for them. He showed them how to navigate the world. He was giving them the gift of his presence. 
And what's the other one? I'm missing one. But anyway, if you think of Mr. Rogers, he was constantly doing all of those things. And he had a powerful impact on children, even when he didn't meet them face to face. The second example is Jesus. If you think of how he interacted with children, he would hold them on his lap. He affirmed their worth. He told them, you know, let the children come to me. And we know that he talked to them when they were sitting on his lap. He spent time with them. He touched those who were sick to heal them. And he gave them the gift of his life. So those were two adults who used all five love languages to impact children and the world in amazing ways. Yeah, those are great examples. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. As you said, the love languages are an effective tool that can amazingly greatly benefit traumatized kids. But are they enough? What else can parents do to help children resolve trauma issues? That's a really good question. And the love languages are a tool. Love is a tool. And, you know, back in the, oh, I would say the late 80s and the early 90s, maybe when a lot of parents were adopting children from Romania and the Ukraine and some of those orphanages where the kids had been neglected, they loved those kids and they really believed that if I love this child enough, we can overcome what happened to them in the past. Unfortunately, that has proven not to be true in every case because so much has happened to those children that they need professional treatment and parents need help from those professionals to learn how to best deal with their children's behaviors and make them feel safe. So kids do need professional treatment if they have been severely impacted by trauma and it has turned into PTSD. Depending on the uh, length of the trauma and the amount of it they've had, they may need lesser or more treatment, but they probably do need some treatment. And then of course we need to, when a child has a traumatic event happen, we need to intervene as their caregivers to help it keep from turning into PTSD. And sometimes if parents know that child has a history of trauma beforehand, they might want to go to a therapist to help with that also. That's very helpful. Now, what are some ways the love languages can be misused with this population? I think we really have to pay attention to that because these kids have been through so much trauma. We don't want to unwittingly put them into a position or in with people who maybe talk the talk, but are doing it for reasons that will cause more trauma for the kids. So anytime any of the love languages like giving words of encouragement or spending time with a child or whatever it is, whenever those speaking the love language becomes an earned reward, they only get it when they've done the right thing first, that can be a problem because we want the love languages to be unconditional love. Now we can give them compliments when they do the right thing, Mm -hmm. but we also need to give them compliments and assure them of our love when they do the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. So we have to be really careful that we don't let them become a reward Mm -hmm. instead of an expression of love. If the strategies are ever used to manipulate or exploit a child or a student that is a wrong use again. 
it doesn't have to be like exploitive, like when we think of child pornography or something, but just that sense of controlling, using it as a means of controlling the child in any way so that, you know, we would withdraw our love for them if they don't do this or whatever. So try not to manipulate children with the love languages. Make sure they're that expression of love. If it's a, if you're in a school situation or a Sunday school situation, or even in a big family, if one of the children starts being perceived as the favorite in the family or the teacher's pet, that is going to backfire. So make sure that you're using, you're spreading the love equally to everybody who's in, to all the kids. Mm. And then again, if we, there's a misinterpretation of the word love. If there are people in the child's life who use the word love and say they love them, but are abusive in any way or violent with that child, that is going to cause extreme damage. So, you know, we've got to make sure that when we're really using true love and not using it as a tool again to hurt the child. And then finally, any use of the physical touch love language in a sexual manner is of course going to be very detrimental to any child. So those are some things um, that we have to kind of look at and they're always red flags. If any of that's happening, the love languages are being misused and it needs to stop. Just yeah, important words of caution Mm -hmm. and things to watch out for and yeah. yeah. Well this has been incredibly insightful and encouraging and hope-filled and helpful and all of those things. Every time we chat with you, I learn more and it's just a delight. So thank you so much. Well, thank you. It's always a delight to be with both of you also, especially in this time where we can't see each other face-to-face. Yes. Or I mean, we can see each other face to face. Be together face to face. Let's put it that way. There we go. It's always so great to chat with you. And we will have links to your books, to sharing love abundantly in our show notes. And of course, your, your other books as well. And yeah, again, thank you so much. And we know that this episode will be such an encouragement and so much help to so many of our families. 